Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? Hi, it's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. If this is the first time you are tuning in, hit that subscribe button, follow me on Twitter, check out all the content we put out there on the interweb. Go to focuscompounding.com to get access uh, to Jeff's investment write-ups um, and sign up for quickfs.net. It's the best website. We use this every single day. We're not mm-hmm. just pushing things that we don't use. Go to quickfs.net. And if you do sign up, tell them you came from Focus Compounding. If you're watching the screen right now, my favorite part is right here. Download financials. And you can pull 20-year financials. And it's great to look at the company um, uh, you know, from a thousand-foot overview, a snapshot. I like to manipulate the data a little bit, like add you know, the market cap maybe on the first page or build off of that. It's awesome. So go to quickfs.net and sign up. And if you do... Tell them you came from your favorite podcast, Focused Compounding. So in today's podcast, we are going to be doing another Snap Judgments episode. Everybody seems to like this. And I think it's a great podcast to do once a week, actually, because it allows us to connect with our viewers. Mm -hmm. So if you want to list a stock or ask us to go over a stock, I'm going off of this old thread from August 31st, 2021, because we have so many to go through. So I don't want to re-ask it. Uh, So we're going to work our way through this and then we'll do another call for uh, stocks for uh, the snap judgments. We'll basically spend about 30 minutes and try to get through four or five uh, different stocks. Um, So the first one is going to be uh, Dollar General. Mm -hmm. And this is a a company that uh, obviously we know about. We read the book, right? It's a great book. Yes. My Father's Business. Yeah. Very very good book. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, Let's see. So current PE 20 times, EV to free cash flow 46.8, market capitalization 50 billion. Um, uh, let's see, EV to sales, 1.6, 10-year median margins in EBIT, 9.5. Uh, gross margins, we just did a podcast talking about very stable gross margins mm-hmm. uh, and the coefficient of variation, and that looks pretty stable from that perspective. Return on invested capital is generally pretty, pretty stable other than whatever went through you know, 2007, right. 2008, yeah. um, I guess like many companies, but everything across the board looks pretty strong. Thoughts? Anything that stand out stands out to you? Anything that you would use as a lead to go and investigate further? Um, yeah, yeah, looks excellent. Um, I mean, could be that based on the ten year numbers, uh, you're seeing more of a trend because of um, you're coming out of recession and things that might benefit this retailer more than others. Um, it is much more attractive looking than most retailers because of the consistency that it has in its results. So something's going on there. Uh, you know, I guess we can, we know some things about the company, like we said, from a book, I know someone who, uh, ran a dollar general for a while, um, and spent time in some parts of the country where dollar general is highly competitive. So, you know, based on that, I would have more information that might help. Um, I, you know, it's, I'm not going to pay that price for a retailer. I don't really like to buy retailers, so it's not a stock for me. But certainly, it's more attractive than the the um, retailers people normally talk about. You know, you can just see how much value it's created over the last ten years versus Walmart, which probably hasn't created any. Um, so maybe it has more room to grow into areas. Uh, it has a huge number of stores. Does it tell you in the description how many it has? Yeah, let's see. Yeah. Um. Yeah, 17,266 stores in 46 states in the United States. Yeah. 
That's a lot. Yeah. And so I would definitely recommend the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very interesting book that way. Um, obviously, like, you know, plenty of share turnover and whatever. It's a, it's now very well recognized and popular stock. High gross margins, high, uh, or uh, I wouldn't call it high operating margins, but high returns on equity, high return on invested capital. What are the gross margins? They around 30%? Right there? Uh, yeah, 31%. Yeah. Yep. Stable. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't say high. I mean, that would be very high for food uh, retail, but this company also sells plenty of other stuff. So, um, I, you know, they're just very stable that way. And I'm sure there's lots of information on that. Um, I think it's been written up before by Science of Hitting. Um, I think there's a, you know, he used to write for Guru Focus things all yeah. the time and stuff. And I think he has a, a newsletter. He is not anonymous anymore. No, it's known who he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew who he was. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I worked at Guru Focus and stuff mm-hmm. for a while. So, yeah. Got it. Cool. Um, let's see. BBSI. All right. Let's see. Provides business management solutions for small and mid-sized companies in the United States. It develops a management platform that integrates a knowledge-based approach from the management consulting industry with tools from the human resource outsourcing industry. Let's see. So PE15, EV to free cash flow 5.6. I feel like whenever I look at companies that are kind of in this, you know, sort of industry or realm or whatever, they all kind of look like they they trade rather cheap. Um, revenue has gone from 315 million in 2011 to 881 million in 2020. Uh, gross margins in 2011 were 13.8%. In 2020, it was 20.8%, kind of all over the map. In 2004, uh, went down to 5.2% gross margin. So super, super low gross margin. Um, the EV to sales 0.5, 10 year median margins on EBIT 3.9. Um, Hmm, this looks very all over the place. Almost looks like a distributor in a way, just on the margin profile. Because mm-hmm. the operating margins are super low. And then the return on equity is high in good years, but definitely all over the map. Yeah, pretty asset light, right? And yeah. you have free cash flow over time that is, I don't know if it has cumulatively, but on an average basis, it's certainly exceeded. Um uh, reported income right by a lot mm-hmm. so it looks like they do uh, staffing and recruiting mm-hmm. uh, contract staffing direct placement long-term or indefinite term on-site management services the company serves electronics manufacturers light manufacturing industries agricultural based companies transportation shipping enterprises food processors so like hr and also it sounds like staffing yeah, it sounds like company. staffing for certain kinds of stuff that you can see in the cyclicality there. Um, yeah, well, look, in 2008, you could tell. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's happened three times in the last 20 years, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. Uh, but also very good results in other years. Um, I mean, I suppose it looks somewhat cheap, I guess you could say, right? In terms of if you're measuring off of sales, which I guess would make the most sense, uh, what were sales this year versus so last reported year of sales was what amount? Eight hundred eighty-one million. The year before that, nine hundred forty-two million. Yeah, so it's using a year that isn't even the peak year that it's had. Um, it, 
and so I don't know a lot about coming out of the pandemic and stuff, what the results will be. But even if we just use actual amounts of operating income that it's had in the last few years or something. So what's the market cap on this one? It is a $571 million market cap. Yeah. So even if we just use those like on an EBIT basis of actual earned EBIT, it's not that bad for the last few years. It looks cheaper than the market. Yeah. Net cash, $464 million EV. Uh, yeah, some of that, you know, I don't know if we can look at the balance sheet. Um, it might be a little more complicated, but let's see. Uh, and that we also like, you can look quarterly and all of that, but yeah, I'm not sure what to make of that. So it has a large short-term investment mm -hmm. item, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and, you would look at that in the filings, see what that is. Yeah. But it has a very large amount of total current liabilities, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, current liabilities, and current assets, what's the gap between them? How close are they? So total current assets, 462 million. Total current liabilities, 407 million. So this is where it's debatable and stuff. Like how much excess cash does it have and everything? Even when you take all the cash and short-term investments it has together, actually it doesn't have a current ratio that's greater than uh, one. If you took the cash out, it's less than one. Uh, for most businesses, a simple way of calculating it, uh, you can calculate a few different ways, but one is to take current assets, subtract total liabilities. If current assets are greater than total liabilities up to that amount of cash you have is almost certainly surplus for a lot of businesses, which have access to financing stuff, even just total, uh, current assets minus current liabilities, if there's a gap there and then you have that cash. So let's say you have 40 million more in at, in current assets than current liabilities and you know that you have more than 40 million in cash it might be excess cash mm -hmm. but if you if you have a situation like this where the current assets and the current liabilities are close then it gets debatable um it wouldn't be debatable if it wasn't cyclical but then you get into like the working capital cycle and all of that what might happen we can go to free cash flow to see this but if you have a cyclical business that generates some float or something what will happen is that free cash flow itself will be uneven and I don't know if we see that here. You'd see it most in cash flow from operations. Can you go to annual so we yeah. can see it? Yeah. So cash flow from operations has been uneven, right? Mm-hmm. Right? So it's negative sometimes? Yep. Right? And then the next year might be very positive. It's just all over, yeah. Yeah, it's very hard. So I think it's very, very difficult to tell if this company has a lot of excess cash, doesn't have it. You have to look closer. Uh, because it probably is in a situation where in a steady state, it would have significant... Um, not having needs for working capital so like you would have excess but because of the cyclicality actually you'll you'll have cash outflows at the worst point in the cycle and then you'll have major cash inflows at other points that way too so it, it seems to me that it's very asset light but very cyclical whereas we're used to talking about companies like uh, we've talked about like over-the-counter markets or about like ad agencies or something they have float um insurance companies they have float but it's very even and so that kind of float is very different than float with a lot of cyclicality which can be an issue for like recruiting companies and stuff mm -hmm. like that for like staffing companies yeah yeah but if you look at 2020 maybe that was a bad year you could spin it as the type of industry or what they do their product it was a you know bad year but the years before it you know, 113 million, 70 million i mean yes yeah, cyclical you could see in the numbers but last year could and be you don't a have one time needs. year Correct. Yeah. yeah. And if but it's, it's cheap, still, it's still incredibly uneven because mm -hmm. you can do this in terms of like ratios, but are good at ratios to compare free cash flow. So in this one, it, you could just do cash flow from operations. They barely have any CapEx needs. But if you compare that to net income, 
normally at like a stable company, whatever that number is, that ratio would be pretty stable. So let's say you're converting 90% of um, reported income into cash flow from operations or whatever, but you don't normally have a year where you have 50 million in cash flow from operations and you report 20 million in earnings, or you have 70 million and, and you report 90 million or, or whatever. You, you tend to have a very stable number there. But if you have what we're seeing here, and you can see on what it's in. So, what's the big number that is? Is it's change in working capital, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you have really big changes in working capital. In fact, the change in working capital is often as big as the reported profit. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I mean, look at yeah. 2015, you had. 25 million in profit and you had change in working capital 67 million 2014 negative 26 million uh, change in working capital 101 million 2013 16 million in net income 54 million in changes in working capital so i mean pretty big <laughs> yeah so you have low capex high working capital business yeah and so i think people you have to look at the industry and all of that, but it would be very hard to know how much, if it has a lot of debt or a lot of cash at a point without knowing more about the business. So you have to analyze it over time. That's why it helps to look at balance sheets over a lot of time. Yeah, and I was looking at this, this caught my eyes as well, pension liabilities. That seems pretty, so 321 million in 2019, 256 million in 2020. <coughs> yeah. Just something I would wanna learn more about. Yeah, so those are big numbers to look at and all mm -hmm. that. So it's, it's unclear if, you know, Without looking at the actual filings, it's unclear whether it actually is overcapitalized or if it's undercapitalized. Um, you know, and the business isn't terribly stable, but it, it will obviously have high returns on capital and high um, uh, cash flow, free cash flow in certain years. But it's pretty cyclical, so you have to even it out. Okay, AATV did not come up. A lot. Astronova Inc. Market cap 112 million. EV 114 million. Astronova Inc. Designs, develops, manufactures, and distributes specialty printers and data acquisition and analysis systems in the United States, Europe, Asia, Canada, Central, and South America, and internationally. The company operates through two segments, product identification and test and measurement, T&M. The PI segment offers tabletop and production-ready digital color label printers, as well as specialty OEM printing systems under the Quick Label brand. And then we can go on to read more. Beta 0.79, share turnover 29%. EV to sales one times, EV free cash flow 8.5 times. 10-year median margins on EBIT 4.8. Uh, we have a 10-year KGRON revenue going from 61 million in 2012 to 116 million in 2021. Uh, gross margins have been uh, kind of all over the place, but uh, in 2012, 36.3%. And then it did reach a peak, it looks like uh, 41.9 in 2015, and now we're back to 35.6%. Very low uh, return on equity numbers and return on vested capital is just all over the board. Yeah. Um, it's hard to tell. from. Yeah, it is. Yeah from what we're looking at. Uh, it doesn't look, what does it say the price to sales is? One times. Yeah, an EV to sales, yeah. So, it certainly doesn't look cheap, right? That's what's interesting mm -hmm. about this, yeah. So let's, um, 
I wonder, it says the company was formerly known as Astro Med Inc. and changed its name to Astronova Inc. in May 2016. I wonder what that med part was, if anything. But, um, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, if you want, I mean, EV to sales, right, one times, you'd want to have something that would catch your eye would be 10-year median margins on EBIT of around 10%. Yeah, I mean, by many measures, it looks like it's trading at 20 times EBIT or more, right? Yeah. Uh, um, which is just, you know, it's a high price for something that hasn't been a consistent high grower or something like that. And, uh, yeah, I don't... Uh, something that sticks out to me is, so revenue in 2012 was $61 million, Operating profit was $1 million, And now revenue is almost doubled in 2021 to 1.1 to 116 million but operating profits only 2 million but they had years as high of 7 6 and 5 million 9 million in 2019 so what has happened the past two reported years on quick fs yeah and the gross numbers are much more stable and growing like the gross numbers are more what you'd expect yeah it's the sgna thing um where you're seeing the issue yeah I really, I don't know the answer, especially since there may be something big change back then. Although, mm-hmm. whatever numbers we're seeing here don't seem to reflect some huge change. You know, when you're saying that the company changed its name and everything, it's not like we're seeing a clear change with that. Yeah. And uh, the numbers. So I really don't know. Yeah, hard to analyze. Let's see. Victoria's Secret. Is there enough data it's on this? It's a spinoff, right? Yeah. There's not enough data, probably. Yeah. Sorry about that. VRSN. VeriSign Inc. Mm-hmm. $24.7 billion market cap. I guess I should read what they do. Together with its subsidiaries, provides domain name registry services and internet infrastructure that enables internet navigation for various recognized domain names worldwide. Yeah. So you look at gross profit, right? Yeah. And look at, we've talked about the variation. So that's a good example. So it's not just that gross margins are very high, right? It's around 80%. Yeah. Which is the highest that you'll ever see, really. Um, there are some that are 90% or some that just Ooh. are effectively 100. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's the amount of the variation is so incredibly low. So you can just see from the minimum maximum, right? So what's the lowest gross margin, that number they reported? 78.6, it looks like. Yeah. yeah. And then the highest is only a few points above 80, right? How high is the 85.8. Okay. So a little bit more variation than that. But generally, that's an incredibly low number. Um, because it's not just that you have a very high gross profit margin, but also that it's just moving around very little. So that's what I meant about the thing about having like lo- low competitive pressure mm-hmm. usually. And we know this company has like no competitive mm-hmm. pressure. Yeah. Yeah. They're like running a legalized monopoly. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So return on equity is negative. So does that tell you that they have float? Uh, I doubt it. We could see. But I believe that it's going to tell us that they um, bought back stock or recapitalized mm. the company in some way. So we can they look do at the buy back their stock. Yeah. yeah, we can look at the balance sheet. So if we look, what's retained earnings? Retained earnings negative fifteen point six billion. Negative, yeah, right? always negative. Yeah, yeah. So it's intentional recapitalization of it by buying back stock. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so if we look at debt, debt's gone up over time, right? Yep. So they, how much did they increase debt over the last 10 years? It was at 582 million. Now it's at 1.7 billion. Okay. And then, um, so that's, and that was used to do buybacks. Presumably. I mean, we can go to the cash flow yeah. statement and see. So buybacks. Yeah. I mean, the, they don't require a lot of PP&E. I mean, you could even look, right? So they take yeah, I mean, it shows most us. of their free cash flow and just buy back their stock. Yeah, so you can see that. If you look down at the uh, financing section, if you look at the first line there, right? Net purchase of common stock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so you can see that they've bought back, you know, a lot um, cumulatively over time. In fact, they bought back more than they've earned uh, at times, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so like cash flow from operations the last couple of years was what? 754 million and then 730 million, and, 698 right. million. And how much stock did they buy back in those years? Uh, so in 2020, they bought back 777 million, and that was on uh, 730 million in cash flow from operations. In 2019, they bought back 783 million, that was on 754 million. So yeah, it's pretty close. I mean, look at 2018, they earned, uh, generated 698 million in cash flow from operations, and they bought back uh, 638 million. Yeah, so you're using all of your cash flow to buy back your stock. Mm-hmm. So that's what they're doing. So How do you value a company like that? Uh, well, what's the price on the um, stock? So if you do like EV to EBITDA, for instance? Mm-hmm. 28 times, 28.8. Okay. Um, so it's somewhere in the neighborhood of, let's see... Mm, two and a half, three percent, or something of the market cap. If they don't grow debt, they could buy back that much stock um, each year, and then they grow. And so the question would be the growth. So it's pretty simple that way. I like to look at like growth. How much do you think they can grow separately from like the concept of return on equity or something like that? So they shouldn't need anything to grow. They should just naturally be able to grow without having to do capex or acquire things. And then it's just a question of returning money to you. Um, stock buybacks, if you like the stock are always better than dividends. Cause if you wanted, um, if you didn't like the stock, if it got too expensive, you should sell it. In which case, um, you would, you know, make a profit because you bought it at a reasonable price and then you sold it when it went up in price. And if you, uh, wanted, and if you thought the stock was cheap, then a buyback is more effective than a dividend. So, you know, it's always more valuable. So you can always estimate the value of a buyback to you just by assuming it's a dividend since it'll be more valuable to you than a dividend. Um, so you could think of it like a yield plus growth. So their yield in terms of buyback yield on there, I mean, we could do it another way, which is to look at what's their market cap right now. Market cap is 24.7 billion. Yeah, it works out the way that I said. I think it's around 3%. So around 3% or something is what they might buy back at the current price. And then you have your growth. So your growth lately has been what in terms of revenue? So in uh, the 10-year CAGR has been 6.4%, but you go uh, 2%, 4.3%, 1.4%, 2.7%. So maybe 3 to 4%. Yeah, so if the um, multiple doesn't contract, you get 6 or 7% return in the stock, something like that. Half of it from the buybacks and half of it from the 
uh, growth in revenue that you have, the organic growth that you have. So your you know EPS can grow by something like that. It would be an earnings per share that you see a free cash flow. All that stuff would grow 7% or more if they keep doing the buybacks. Um, it makes it more attractive when it is lower in price. It makes it less attractive when it's higher in price. So you want to be particularly sensitive to price on a stock like this. So you want to buy it when it's cheaper if it, mm. you know that's going to do all those buybacks. Yeah. Got it. Let's see. D-O-L-E. Nope. Not in the system. Is that... It's, it doesn't have the ticker? No. Okay. Nope. Let's see. Yeah, we've talked about Village a lot. What's going on with Village? You looked at him at all recently? No, I haven't seen a lot of change. I mean, you had COVID. Jeff was the best employee this company has ever seen. Village supermarket. We visited one. Yes, we, we saw their supermarkets. You saw them in Maryland, right? Maryland. Yeah, yeah not the New correct. Jersey ones. Yeah. That was a later expansion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think it went as well. Current market cap, 314 million. EV, 271 million. Uh, PE, 16 times. EV to free cash flow, 7.5 times. Uh, 10 year, what well, we could do, EV to sales, 0.1. Supermarkets always trade kind of very low. 10 year medium margins, EBIT 2.6. Uh, 10 year CAGR on revenue has been 3.6% going from 1.3 billion in 2011 to 1.8 billion in 2020. Um, look at the gross margins on that. Talk about the coefficient of variation. Very stable. Um, anything stand out to you, Jeff? Yeah. Um, so the gross numbers have held up pretty well, but SGNAs kept growing all the time. This is a problem that some other supermarkets yeah. have had. Uh, this one you have to look at the filings to understand because they have a bunch of stuff that QuickFS can't count or any website can't categorize correctly. So because of their relationship with Wakefern, they have stuff that's actually cash that isn't showing up as cash here. Um, but then they also have a, a multi-employer um, pension plan. Uh, so they have some liability possibilities from that. Multi-employer pension plans are often underfunded and stuff versus uh, ones that are just uh, one company. Uh, so in the corporate world, that's usually more of a problem. And uh, But they probably have a lot more excess cash than it appears. And that would depend on you having to go to the filings and reading that they deposit money with Wakefern and earn, uh, you know, money market type rates and stuff on that instead of putting it in a bank or buying treasuries or something like that. So their treasury function at the company is different. And so I think generally the calculation is not correct. And so for instance, the calculation won't be correct for like return on invested capital. That's really giving you like an ROE type number or something. But the effect is that in some years, the reason why the return on invested capital looks low is actually because it's less leverage, but it's not capturing that fact. Yeah, it does lease some locations though. So it's kind of, you know, uh, that part is not being accurately captured. At least it wasn't in the beginning of that period with under, under um, the previous accounting standards. I was going to say, I mean, like the capital returns at Costco, for example, like the operating margin is, is pretty low, but the return of us to capital return equity is very high. Uh, yeah, I think the core business of Village is not inferior to Costco in terms of returns on invested capital, but we could look at Costco so you can see. Because I can estimate it. What is their return on invested capital generally? Let's call it 15% on average, 15 to 17%, sure. 
yeah, I think Costco on leverage and Village on leverage. I think that Village would have would not have worse returns than Costco. Actually, Village just pays higher taxes and stuff because it's mostly in New Jersey and everything. I think before taxes, if we were really to compare them, Village's stores actually are more profitable than Costco's on a return on capital basis. But Costco's much better stock because it can use that money and do something with it, mm-hmm. where Village just not had any ability to do that. But I mean, if you're talking about the core business of a village supermarket versus a Costco location, a village supermarket, I think is more profitable on a dollar for dollar capital basis of what's actually in the business. Um, you know, uh, any then, thoughts on it today? I mean, you have obviously it's not going to be sold out. I mean, it's a family controlled company that has issues because it's part of, um, Wakefern, you know, so it's a shop right thing. So it's not a very obvious um, target and making it easy. So it's not obvious for a private equity thing. It's not obvious for a company, another supermarket. Obviously, it would be very attractive for them to buy. So it'd be a very attractive acquisition candidate. Someone else will put take cash off of it, put debt onto it, and might run it more efficiently from an SGNA perspective. So it is I like ideally what a private equity target would look like for a supermarket. But I don't think that it's that likely given the structure of the company and all of that. Um, but you know, it's very cheap compared to what it's capable of doing. And like I said, the returns on capital are actually very high in the core business of what it does. Like if we stripped away all the financial stuff that Mm -hmm. I mentioned about the fact that it, it doesn't actually need all the capital that it seems to have and all that and all these screens and things, We'll show numbers that aren't accurate because of that. But you have to break down the whole relationship with Wakefront to understand that. So, the, you know, um, but they're very, very profitable stores and stuff. Uh, there are some models that are maybe more, uh, but nothing this big that I know of. So, like, if you look up Sprouts, for instance, they might have higher historically, especially with the way they leverage it up and stuff, might have had historically higher leverage returns on equity and stuff. Um but even then, on a return on capital basis, I don't think they've achieved higher than Village has. So it is very profitable, the stores, but just no growth. I mean, they've had a little bit of growth, but it's really no same store sales growth and stuff like that over time. And then operating profit is as bad as it was 10 years ago because SGNA has actually grown over time. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's a very low multiple if you actually broke it down by reading the filings. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's a very low multiple. So it's a value stock, but it's a uh, value. St- but the problem is, but possibly of lower turns if it never leverages up at all or anything like that. I don't even mean leverages up. I just mean does something with cash. You know, you've piled up a lot of cash. They do pay a dividend. So it just is not nowhere near enough to absorb um, the cash flow that they've had over time. Is the family old? Or like the oh, person running it? Chairman well, CEO? a few years ago, someone died who had a lot of stock, but. There's tons of family members. I don't remember if there's four or five major ones um, that would be listed in proxy filings and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's been family controlled for, I guess, 90 years. Oh, wow. Something like that, yeah. Mm. Got it. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us here today. Thank you very much for the people that asked 
uh, us to go over a stock. Uh, go back to this thread if you want. I'm going to be going through this on August 31st. I did a call uh, or a tweet to basically ask what stocks do you want us to go over. Um, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Make sure you hit that subscribe button both on YouTube and the podcast side of things. We did use QuickFS. We do use it every single day. Uh, so go to quickfs.net. If you do sign up uh, to be able to get access to all of this information that we use on the podcast, uh, tell them that you came from Focus Compounding. Thank you so much for all the support, and we will see you in the next podcast. Take care.